It's Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. Today on the show, a Marine captain talks about leading, not necessarily from the front. But first, this episode is brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield Vision Coverage. What makes good vision coverage? Things like fully covered vision care exams for all members, access to over 125,000 independent providers and national retailers. That's why you should choose Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Vision. Plans start as low as $12 a month. See what we can do for you at bcbsfepvision.com. Okay, I'm Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings at the U.S. Naval Institute. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving with friends and family. I got a little bit of time to catch up on sleep. I know I did. Uh, tomorrow is the last day of November, so we're squeezing in one more author from the November Marine Corps-focused issue today. My guest is Captain Michael Hansen, U.S. Marine Corps. He's a frequent contributor to proceedings, especially in the past three years, and often on the topic of leadership. His latest article is Lead from the Front, Not Always, in the November issue. Mike, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So I have to point out to our listeners, you're joining us from Okinawa, Japan. So it's 9.30 p.m. in your neighborhood. What's your current assignment in Okinawa, and how's life in 3MEF these days? Uh, life in 3MEF is good. I'm currently a weapons company commander with 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines, and we're uh, under 4th Marine Regiment out here, 3rd Marine Division, 3rd Marine Expeditionary Force. And I tell you, it's really a, a fascinating and exciting time to be out in 3MEF. The amount of focus and attention and energy that's being directed to this part of the world, it's, uh, it's really great to be a part of that. And uh, obviously, we're, we're having a lot of intense conversations, uh, devoting a lot of study, um, and, and we're learning a lot. And, uh, and it's a great time to be out here right now. Well, it's a time of uh, turbulent change in, in China. There's some, some pretty virulent protests, it looks like, now getting cracked down on by the, the Chinese government. You got, uh, I know we've, we've been talking to Brian Kirk, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Kirk, who's on our editorial board. He's out there as a planner for Northeast Asia and, and very much involved in the planning for the, the peninsula and, you know, North Korea for the last, what, three or four months has just been lobbing missiles over Japan. Uh, so not very gentlemanly or neighborly. Uh, so there's definitely a lot going out there. And um, then you've got, you know, EABO, you've got LOCE operations, you've got the, all the experimentation with the Marine littoral regiments. And a lot of that's being written about in our pages. So yeah, it seems like 3MEF at Okinawa, if you want to be at the tip of the tip of the spear, that's the place to be these days. It's it's really an honor to be a part of it, too. That's awesome. All right. So your article starts by saying new leaders are institutionally conditioned to lead from the front. But slogans such as lead by example, lead from the point of friction, and most prominently lead from the front can be misleading. Taken too literally, these sayings can, can constitute bad advice. Discuss that. Yes, sir. So I think that there is a, a lot of uh, pressure, self-perceived pressure on new leaders that they uh, feel like they have to be able to do the things that they expect of their subordinate. And th that's literally that generally speaking, those are there's some good uh, some principles. Obviously, you like you, you should know how to employ your weapon, your radio, things like that. But I think that sometimes that that very easily morphs into a junior leader thinks that it's their job to be uh, the first man in a stack going into a doorway 
or walking point on a patrol or basically putting themselves at risk to show that they that one that they they're not afraid to do that or that they can do that exposing themselves in a in a firefight uh employing their their rifle instead of their unit and it it it's comes from a, a lot of times uh they're drilled into this you know lead lead by example lead from the front and so they think that they're doing the right thing by doing that but i argue that they're out of position if they're doing those things uh, so you started your career as an enlisted Marine. You enlisted in 2003. You, you had three deployments as part of Operation Iraqi Freedom in Iraq. Uh, so what was your MOS as an enlisted Marine? And can you describe you know, one or two of your most salient experiences uh, that you had in Iraq? Uh, yes. Yeah, so when I was uh, enlisted, I was an 0341 mortarman, a 60 millimeter mortarman. So I was in a rifle company and uh the vast majority of the time we were not shooting mortars, we were patrolling. So I was doing, you know, patrolling as a rifleman in a rifle squad uh, with the exception of Operation Phantom Fury, you know, the second battle of Fallujah, that, that's where we were shooting mortars, shot a lot of mortars there. Um, and really the, those deployments, um, that, that really I think influenced and shaped me into this belief. I lost, in those deployments, I lost three platoon commanders uh, two of my first deployment, one of my second one, the first one to an IED, the second one to a mortar round, the third one to a hand grenade. And um, I, I saw basically what happens when units lose leadership. Now, I'll say that, you know, Marines step up, they take charge. Uh, you lose a platoon commander, the platoon sergeant will take, take step up and, and become the platoon commander and a squad leader will step up and become the platoon sergeant. A team leader will step up and become a squad leader and a rifleman will step up and become a fire team leader. Uh, that's how we're trained and that's how we operate and they do it every time and we'll accomplish the mission. But that, that comes at a price. And um, that experience in Iraq, I, I got to see that, um, the, the disruption and what that does to a unit when it loses its leader. Well, losing three platoon commanders uh, in combat operations, that, that must have been, I mean, just, I, I can't even imagine how challenging that would be in the tactical moment, but also um, in how you deal with that in, in the years following. Um, and I know you don't want to second guess uh, any of those three, but, you know, was there a takeaway there that somebody was out of position or could have been leading from a different place rather than, you know, where they were at the time that, um, you know, an enemy round hit them? I know I'd say in those cases, a lot of it was uh, random. Uh, the, the first one hit by his vehicle was the one that got hit by the ID. The second one, a mortar round landed and he, he was just where it hit. Yeah. And then the third one might have been a little bit too close. Um, he, he may he could have probably been in a better position, but regardless even if it's a random thing like that it, it does impose a cost and now the, the rest of the unit is scrambling to, to take to take up that uh you know the gap that's left behind and like obviously uh learn some tough lessons when that we're going to accomplish the mission but it's going to come at a cost we'll, we'll learn some tough lessons in the process yeah no doubt so if if officers shouldn't necessarily lead from the front where should they lead from what's the sweet spot so the, one of the other sayings was uh, lead point from the point of friction, which I think is close, but really I like lead from the point of influence. I think that a leader, and whether that's a, a squad leader or a platoon commander or a company commander, any, any kind of leader, 
needs to be in a position where one, they can observe, where they can get situational awareness, get, get feedback, and two, where they can also control, command and control, where they can issue orders, give direction, and, and make things happen. Um, so they need to be in, in a position where they're best able to influence the action, where they're best able to employ their unit. And uh, I find that that's, that's often not uh, as the, the point man. So lead from the point of influence. I, I love that. Um, I'd like you to read the last paragraph from your article, if you would. A rifleman's weapon is his rifle. A machine gunner's weapon is, is his machine gun. A leader's weapon is his unit. Whether it is a fire team, a squad, a platoon, or a company, the purpose of the leader is to employ his unit just as the rifleman's job is to employ his rifle. To do this effectively, the leader must lead from the point of influence, the place where he can best employ his unit and impact the action. That most often will not be from the front. Uh, for, for our listeners and readers, by the way, um, you know, as the editor-in-chief of the magazine, I, I'm, I'm reading everything every month. Uh, I look at everything as it goes into, you know, final layout. And, and uh, often there are paragraphs that just jump out at me. And I say, that's the one. That's it. And this was like one of my favorite paragraphs from the entire November issue. Uh, I, I just love that paragraph. It, it's just so, um, it's tight and it's coherent. And it's something I think anybody can, uh, whether you're, uh, you know, a Marine on point or, you know, as myself, Naval Intelligence Officer on an aircraft carrier, this idea that leading from the point of influence uh, it just makes in inherent sense. Um, can you give an example or two from your career when you when you led well from that point of influence, or, or perhaps when you didn't? Sure, actually, I, I can give one of each. So uh, recently, um, as a company commander, this was previously before I had weapons company, I had a rifle company, uh, Lima company, and we were doing uh, exercise steel night out in 29 Palms, and this was a series of live fire attacks and so uh, my company's mission, we were to attack an objective that was uh, the simulated enemy was was some uh, mechanized or armored forces also with dismounted infantry in, in some trench lines. And we did a night infiltration. We moved very close to the objective. And then as the sun rose, you know, we, we were waiting uh, for the sunrise for us to conduct our attack. And basically the scheme of maneuver for this attack was uh, I had a support by fire position and from that position I was going to establish, you know, effective suppression, fire superiority on that objective before having maneuver element close and clear this objective. Um, I've located myself at that support by fire uh, position and we initiated the attack first. I, I got uh, a duration suppression with mortars. So one round every 20 seconds or so of uh, on, a, on a timeline mortars landing that would get the enemy to get their head down and take cover. And then I unmasked with machine guns to get some direct fire suppression. And then uh, a missile used a javelin missile to now destroy these enemy armored vehicles. And now once this had happened, conditions were now set for that maneuver element to unmask from their assault position, close and clear the, the trench line and uh, eliminate those last dismounted enemies. And, it would have been it would have been fun and it would have been exciting to go with that maneuver element and you know come up over the top and run across that open area and close with and destroy that enemy but my position was up on that support by fire position because i needed to be able to 
uh, one, observe the situation, obviously had it changed or something, say we got there and, and the enemy wasn't there or, or their disposition was different, two, to echelon, to, to communicate and echelon these forces, these fires in to set appropriate conditions. And then once that, that happened, uh, then the conditions were set for that maneuver element to close. It is absolutely possible. I could have assigned somebody else to do that, a, a, a platoon commander. But I felt that as the company commander it, and, you know, the, the mission, it was my responsibility as a senior person to do that, to set those conditions and to enable the maneuver to close. So I think that is a, a good example of where I led from that point of influence that wasn't the front. Now, another example where I, I did the opposite when I, and I learned then that I, I led from the front and it wasn't good. I was a second lieutenant and we were out at uh, the, the Mountain Warfare Training Center in uh, Bridgeport, California. And we were doing the final culminating exercise, which was a force on force uh, exercise. My company was was tasked to be the adversary force. So we were we were the bad guys and we were fighting the rest of our battalion. And we also in this situation, we did a, a, a night movement, which is supposed to be a night infiltration. We were trying to infiltrate through our our battalion's lines and attack their their command post. And so I was as I was leading my platoon across this open area in the dark, um, we were compromised. They discovered us. Something something happened. I think one of the other platoons uh, got in a firefight, but they knew we were coming. And now they were alerted and they 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 saw us coming and they began to shoot at us. And, you know, the, the, the enemy line starts opening up. Machine guns are going off. And I I tried to lead my platoon across this open area. It must have looked like a civil war attack because I got out right in front of them and said, follow me. Let's go. And I ran right into a burst of machine gun fire and I got killed. And then I watched at now I'm out of the fight. I watched my platoon sergeant now do the right thing. And he employed what was left of the platoon. He employed those squads and fought. He controlled them and fought them like this, moving them from one position to another. And he eventually overran that machine gun position and got through. And uh, and I learned a lot from that. And it was a good thing that we were shooting blanks and that was in training and not not real. So you did the pick his charge thing and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and died, died valiantly, uh, but, yes. learned good, but learned a good lesson. What when you were in both those training situations, right? So I'm sure that there's observer trainers. There's, there's, you know, the folks that are managing the exercise in the, in the debrief, did what kind of feedback did they give you? Like, and it was, it was the platoon sergeant and it was from my own Marines and they said it, um, like it was, sir, you did the wrong thing. You were, that's not how you're, what you're supposed to do there. Like, and, and it, they were blunt, but you know what? I needed that. And I, I still remember that and it was good. And, and that's an example of, uh, not of leading, not from the front. So. I love it. Um, so if you had a chance to speak to a class of, uh, you know, 200 brand new lieutenants at the basic school, uh, what would your advice be to them? I would think I would say, yes, it, it's true that it, it's good to aspire to be able to do uh, anything that you ask of your subordinates um, to know the weapons, know the equipment, be able to employ them. But that's that's not your primary job. Your job is to employ your unit. Uh, your job is to employ your people like you have people to do those things for you. That, that doesn't make you better than you. But as a leader, you have bigger fish to fry. And so leadership is a people business. You need to know your people. You need to know how to employ them. You need to know their personalities and really be able to 
uh, assign the right person to the right task. And that, that person that has the not only the capability, but the capacity to do that. And now by putting them in charge of that, that frees, that gives you bandwidth to focus on the bigger picture, which is what your job is as, as a leader. Um, that's what I would tell them. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I, I want to ask a question that just popped into my head. Um, you know, you're uh, with a weapons company out there in uh, Fourth Marines and um, or Fourth Marine Regiment, you said. And, and um, you know, we see a lot of images of uh, Marines. In fact, it's in the new recruiting uh, advertisement for the Marine Corps, which came out, you know, a few weeks before Thanksgiving. I love it. There's a lot of, um, you know, small tactical UAVs. And I'm wondering how, how does that change your your thought process as a leader in terms of where that point of influence might be on the battlefield. Do you have to be close to where that feed is coming into your, you know, your squad, your company? Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm throwing that out there because it just popped into my head. Like how, how do those small tactical UAVs sort of change the way that you train and the way that you think about, you know, your movements on the battlefield? So that's a great question, um, and they're definitely a game changer, as as we're, we're seeing in multiple theaters around the world. Uh, whether it was what ISIS was doing with them a few years ago, or what they're doing in Ukraine right now, it's absolutely a game changer um, because now, like, you have to look up. And and a lot of us that have combat experience in the the global war on terrorism, we didn't we didn't have to look up, and now now you do, and that and that it changes the dynamics completely. Um, so one, you have to be aware that that the enemy has these things. Um, it could be a, a sophisticated drone made by a, a nation state or an off the shelf thing like ISIS was employing. Uh, basically, we've had a, a leveling kind of a democratization of the capabilities. Now, we don't have a monopoly on that. So we have to be more uh, careful uh, and, and, and understand that they can see us on the other side, though. I've seen them become a thing where just like a platoon commander gets sucked into his radio, a, uh, a, a unit leader gets sucked into the drone feed. And uh, I used to work at the tactical training exit and uh, TTCG. Uh, I'm having a brain fart what that stands for right now. I apologize. Ta tactical training exercise control group. That's what it is. I'm sorry. Gotcha. I, yeah, I, that's I fine. forget that. But we, we employed um, small units. Uh, UASs, uh, quadcopters, uh, quads for squads. And I, and I was able to observe many, many squad leaders basically stop their movement, halt their patrol, and they get drawn into the, the drone feed and, and they, they get sucked into that and they lose sight of what, what else is going on around them. Now they're not doing their job as a squad leader. Not, they're not employing their fire teams. They're not fighting their unit. They're just sucked into the drone feed. And now They've given up the initiative, and I've seen now where the enemy takes that initiative, maneuvers on them, and and takes them out because they've gotten sucked into this this drone. And that's something that we have to be uh, aware of. And as leaders, try very hard to not not get the flip the the, the script flipped on us in that sense. Well, that's uh, that's great insight. In fact, I'd love to see you write about that for proceedings. Could be just a short piece. Nobody, you know, nobody asked me, but. Uh, you know, don't get sucked into your drone feed. That's just um, really good advice for, uh, especially for for new young folks who tend to be, you know, very technology focused, right? We, I, I, you know, I know I'm I find myself sucked into technology, but I I watch 
my uh, my you know college age kids, and I watch uh, you know kids at the Naval Academy these days sometimes often very much sucked into their the feed on their phone. I can imagine that it would be very attractive out on the battlefield where you're waiting and wondering what's going to happen, worried about being surprised to to find yourself kind of sucked into that and and trying to you know get as much information from that as you can and perhaps ignoring what what other you know information sources you have or what your your people are doing uh and yeah that that's that is really great insight i love that yeah um so mike we're, we're getting uh, a little skosh on time here uh, any saved rounds any any last minute things that uh, we didn't quite cover from your article that that we should uh no I, I mean i think that that's that's it there and uh i mean i i don't, I don't know what else to add okay lead from the point of influence that's right. Yeah. And, and that's not your job. Like it, as a leader, it's your job to employ your unit, not your rifle. I mean, you might have to shoot your rifle to uh, lay down some suppression to help somebody get across the road. Um, but don't lose sight of, of the, the bigger picture, whether that's looking, looking through the, the drone feed or looking through the optic on your weapon. I love it. All right. Well, my guest today has been Marine Corps Captain Mike Hansen. His latest proceedings article, Lead from the Front, Not Always, appears in the November issue of Proceedings. Mike, thanks for joining us from Okinawa today. It's been great having you on the show, and uh, I look forward to whatever you write for us next. So do I. I hope to be back again. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Proceedings Podcast, brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield Vision Coverage. What makes good vision coverage? Things like fully covered vision exams for all members, access to over 125,000 independent providers and national retailers. That's why you should choose Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Vision. Plans start as low as $12 a month. See what we can do for you at bcbsfepvision.com. If you enjoyed the show, like us and subscribe to our channel. Tell your friends become a member at usni.org forward slash join. And until next episode, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.